you know, you start layering in emotional intelligence. You start to anthropomorphize and personify AI. To me, I, I kind of get in this danger zone. You already see the influence of, you know, social media and advertising and media in general on people. Now you've got a super powerful computer that you're having conversations with that you could be subject to manipulation by. Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the clouds as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. All right, welcome everyone to another fabulous episode of Altitude, fantastic show today. I am delighted to welcome to the show, Zach Hughes, who is VP of IT at CHS. For those that might be curious, CHS is one of the industry's leading agriculture businesses, but kind of uniquely, they are cooperative, owned by the ranchers and farmers and other cooperative structures across America, which I think is super cool. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, my pleasure. Something else uh, folks may or may not know is that Zach Hughes is one of the industry's leading experts on the principles and practices of leadership. And so it's a real treat to have him on the show today. And of course, today we are going to be talking about leadership in IT in the age of AI and machine learning, which I think is a super important topic and certainly something that's on the tip of everyone's brain. So really excited to get into that today. Awesome. This is going to be fun. Yeah, we'll be fun. So let's kick this off with some analogy. And that analogy is, is that clearly we are on the precipice of a paradigm shift, right? Now, there have been many paradigm shifts in our industry before, such as mainframe going to PC, you know, metal compute going to virtual compute, private cloud going to public cloud. But now we are in something perhaps fundamentally different, which is human learning going to machine learning. So instead of kind of dwelling on the past and talking about leadership abilities and techniques through these previous, you know, paradigm shifts, which I think is kind of a well-worn and well-known path, right? I'd like to drill into the challenges and opportunities leaders have to define themselves and their organizations with this coming paradigm shift from human learning to machine learning. So the first question to you, Zach, would be what's different this time? with this new paradigm shift that maybe is unique from the previous ones? You know, it's, it, it's a good thought. I think, you know, when we, when we look at, uh, you know, this, this revolution, there's, there's a lot of things that are, that are a little bit different about it, but, uh, but I'll also say just, uh, as a technologist, as a, someone that's been leading the technology industry for, for a number of years, mentally, I think we all like to kind of anchor to, to, to other things as, as some of the things you just mentioned, I'll, I'll pick on one that, that kind of frames some of my thinking as I, as I look forward through this, through this next generation. And you mentioned a couple of different paradigm shifts, uh, that we've, we've all gone through in the past. Uh, one that you didn't mention that I think it's just kind of fun to kind of talk about a little bit is many, uh, many technologists listening to this call, uh, listening to this podcast episode have 
have, have heard about uh, or maybe lived through the transition from like BlackBerry to to uh, to iPhone. It's something that's lo- long in our past, but you know, we all used to walk around with Blackberries, and Blackberry was king of king of kind of corporate mobile communications for for so many years. Had all the feature rich security controls and and and, and all the mechanisms, and, and kind of corporate loved it. And then along came Android and iPhone that totally disrupted it. And initially, you know, they weren't better than a BlackBerry from the standpoint of security, from the standpoint of even manageability, but it was better for the consumer uh, and it made the consumer more productive. That was enough. That was simply enough to disrupt everything. Uh, and, and of course, you know, fast forward, you know, many, many years, it took, took a while for like the management ecosystems and third party products to kind of fill in the gaps and make, you know, Android and iPhones as manageable as Blackberries were. And now, now even further than that, but there is a, we're in that gap for quite a long time. Um, and, and those that kind of, you know, clung to their Blackberries, uh, ripped this out of my cold dead hands. Yeah. That didn't turn out too well for those technology leaders. So, um, I take that as a little bit of a harbinger, uh, you know, when it comes to the AI revolution that's going on here. And you mentioned, you know, machine learning in general, the, the machines learning instead of the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the humans doing the learning. We've been on that path for a little while, especially when it comes to like IT uh, kind of controlled and governed uh, machine learning. So, you know, it's kind of like grew out of like almost an extension of our practices around, you know, data warehousing, you know, uh, analytics and just in general what we've had teams that have built dashboards and reports and and done things on behalf of the business. Right. Uh, so, well, it was like, well, we need to do AI. I was like, well, we kind of layered that on top of. That, are, that that existing foundation maybe hired some new data engineers bought some new toolkits uh, and kind of started you know running machine uh, machine learning algorithms on top of our existing data sets to you know better our predictive capabilities on behalf of the business and you know some some business folks have also then hired uh, data scientists onto their teams uh, so they get that that insight directly and you know even you know outside of IT so it, so it's kind of pervasive and gone out that way so all, all that's been been kind of this organic growth of AI and machine learning inside of enterprises so the the recent shift it, it, you know why that's so different than that is it kind of goes back to my earlier analogy it's like the consumerization of AI is is I think the thing that's a bit new uh, whereas you know any anyone can access ChatGPT or Bard or any of these other services, not call IT, <laughs> not tell us even, and just start putting these tools to work uh, for their productivity. So that's kind of why I, I brought up that earlier example of the iPhone because while it's ubiquitous today, at, at, when it first came in, it was a bit of a threat because we couldn't control it. And I think AI is, is is now at this place where it's been kind of contained for a while. It's been in the realm of IT or IT adjacent things. And now just in, in the year 2023, it's gone straight to consumer. Uh, so that's the, that's the new thing. And of course, the implications of all of that and the power of all of that are, are, are things we can talk about as well. But that's a little bit of how I think about some of the challenges um, going forward here. No, it's an interesting analogy and it's a good point insofar as, of course, Steve Jobs, I think, really understood that the market he was going for um, to be differentiated and to make an impact with the iPhone was the consumer market. He knew that if he hit the consumer market, he would probably have a much more profound impact on the industry as a whole than trying to say, go head on with BlackBerry and just create some more kind of, you know, Zen looking BlackBerry. So then moving now to AI, do you think that 
Microsoft leading with chat, GPT and the open AI, and now uh, Google with Bard are looking at that path that Jobs took with the iPhone and saying, this is a better way in. Meaning that AI is first going to be vetted and institutionalized as a consumer tool and then become important to, to business makers and business leaders, you know, a- after the fact. I guess I probably don't know the answer to the question strategically in terms of how they're thinking about it, but it, yeah, this is what's playing out in front of us. Yeah. I think this is this is this is just really what's what's super interesting is now we have AI in, in the hands of our end users um, and and they're using it and taking advantage of it and you know as we look you know at, our, at younger folks uh, I've got two teenage students they're they're using you know these these chatbots to kind of help them you know think and work through problems just in, in the same fashion that I would have used a you know Google search bar prompt you know uh, you know many years ago to to help help me think through and solve problems uh, but they're getting much more kind of rich uh, rich answers to to their questions uh, through these chatbots so it's that that's that's where things are kind of going let me let me make a couple of analogies i think both both google and microsoft you know cuz those are two dominant players right now you know in, in one sense uh, i look at you know the consumer targeted ai from google as being you know kind of the the, the next iteration of of that of that google search box you know uh, why do why do you go to uh, why do you type something into Google? It's because you're looking for answers. So um, I see that 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 being part of how that goes. Now let's pick pick the Microsoft piece apart. Um, this is going to sound crude at first, but kind of roll with me, uh, you know, with this. It's like in in a way, you know, a chatbot or AI is 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 like a better spell checker. So uh, you Microsoft Word, you know, uh, when, when we're, we're processing first came out, you know, there weren't spell checkers, and then there became spell checkers. Uh, and then, you know, this thing came out called Grammar Check, which is kind of gave, gave you an extra edge on that. You know, since then, you know, uh, tools like uh, Grammarly that plug into Word, you know, can kind of even give you even more uh, editorial uh, uh, master, mastery over, over, your, uh, over your word processing. All this is in the name of not necessarily replacing jobs, but, but making the job you're doing faster, you know, making you, you more productive as, a, as an end user. You know, I think, you know, uh, Microsoft being this productivity powerhouse, you know, you could say, what, what is Microsoft known for? Maybe, maybe Apple's known for the, the you know, the, the, the consumer design. Uh, I'd say Microsoft over the years, you know, they've done lots of things, but what are they known for? What's their key force in the market? It's productivity and user productivity. That, that's, that's their deal. So I see, you know, AI as a productivity enhancer, you know, being, being something that makes a ton of sense for, for Microsoft to continue to, to invest in. The standalone chatbot interface that is ChatGPT through OpenAI, mm-hmm. um, I see being built in as a new spell checker. It's a feature in, in everything you do. And, and there, and Microsoft is doing things like with, uh, you know, they call it copilot, uh, where, where some of those features are starting to uh, show up in some of their, uh, some of their products and you'll see more and more of that. Uh, so I see, uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a bit of a crude analogy, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm without a computer, I'm not that good of a speller. You know, you give me a pad and pencil. My spelling is, 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 is average at best. You give oh, me a mine's, computer. Mine's abysmal. It sucks. Yeah. 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 You give me a computer. And I'm the world's best speller. You know, I look at uh, these these uh, you know generative AI uh, tools as as just just uh, you know making us you know more productive content creators. Yeah, it's clearly about productivity at this point. And really, the fundamental algorithms of machine lear- learning that are centered around productivity kind of have their genesis in the spell checker, right? I mean, think about it: the spell checker and even Clippy, God rest his soul. 
<laughs> was really just a primitive form of machine learning at the time, right? It was a very mm -hmm. basic model for being able to infer pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. You know, I know, you know, a million words based on the word that you've typed. This is probably the word that you're trying to type. And this is the best way to spell it. And there's even an interruptive capability, like good old Clippy, like, hey, it looks like you're trying to do something. Let me help you with that. So that could be terrifying because AI could be like super interruptive Clippy. And uh, let's hope Microsoft gets that right. I think they will. <laughs> if not, we're all in a world of hurt. Um, yeah. So I agree with you there. But here's where things get really interesting. Unlike the very fundamental or basic machine learning, if you want to call it that, that was going on back in the 90s at that time. It really wasn't machine learning. It was probably just some kind of primitive basis for it. AI is going to offer some next level capabilities, right? So it can infer um, based on the way a spell checker works. It can extrapolate. It can anticipate. And it can even imagine. Now, what AI hasn't done yet and may never do is interrogate. And that's not asking a question, right? Interrogating means that behind that question, you have as an individual, an ulterior motive or an opinion, right? Anyone that's been married for more than a minute knows this. So at some point, if AI learns to interrogate, that means that it's developing an opinion. Now, as a leader, is it more concerning to us that it develops an opinion or more concerning that it does not. Insofar mm. as an AI without an opinion could make a perfect worker. And maybe some of the things that humans contribute to companies are opinion-based. But if I have a workforce that no longer challenges me, I am potentially more productive. Let's talk about this. This is, this is the, yeah, kind of steeps into the area of AI ethics a little bit. Yeah. Uh, also, just just share that this is also where where a lot of the dynamite is, um, and, and I think we also have other bases of analogy here. Taking AI aside, let's just think. You know, just over the last ten years, uh, I think we recognize uh, uh, the force of of media, the force of social media, the you know the biases in, in media and social media, the biases in, in in content moderation, right? You know, those are all fairly controversial subjects. Uh, that people have, you know, kind of come on on different sides of, uh, but regardless, these are kind of active active debates in our society in terms of uh, of the influence that they have over society. So, you know, the the, the thought is, okay, who's the you know the the human, you know, programming the AI, the AI that you're interacting with, you know, what you know back to the interrogation point, what's what's their agenda. Right. Uh, and what's, what's, what's that, what's that end? Um, and, and is that something that, uh, you know, we're aligned with or, uh, you know, is it our best interest or, or not? Um, uh, do we have any say over that? Should that be totally neutral or should that be something, you know, uh, we can and should manipulate towards some, some objective or end? Uh, so lo those are things I'm concerned about. I will say another layer to watch out on that is maybe not as exploited today, but I could see us getting there really, really soon. Uh, which is a bit of the the marrying of of uh, of kind of AI chatbots with kind of voice interfaces. Um, so right now you're you're kind of typing into a prompt for the most part to a lot of these consumer facing AI uh, models. Let's just say say you know what happens when that kind of you know gets ported into your Alexa or Siri or Cortana or or whoever your digital assistant is. And you know right now uh, it, it's you know you say Alexa what's the weather. Tells you, well, it's gonna be it's gonna be seventy degrees and sunny today. End of conversation. Question answer. 
what if in the future, you know, Alexa says, it's like, well, it's going to be 70 degrees and sunny today. It's like, wow, what you thinking about doing today? And then you answer, it's like, well, I was thinking about going to the park. It's like, oh, how are you going to get there? It's like, well, I was thinking about riding a bike. Hey, how's, how's your bike doing? It's like, well, it's, it's, uh, it's actually need, needs, uh, you know, needs some repairs. And it's like, oh, you want to, you want to go to this, uh, this, this, this bike shop or, or maybe look at new bikes and all these sort of things. Like you start getting engaged and, you know, you can see how the, the, mm-hmm. the commercial advertising, you know, uh, opportunity potentially, you know, arises from that. Now, you know, purely commercial, uh, maybe that's, that's above, above board and things like that. But, you know, you start layering in emotional intelligence, you start to anthropomorphize and personify AI in, in, in the human relationship to it, to me, I, I kind of get in this danger zone a, a little bit where you already see the influence of, you know, social media and advertising and media in general on on people, you know, to kind of maybe think things they wouldn't otherwise think, do things they wouldn't otherwise do. Now, now you've got a you know, super, super powerful computer that you're having conversations with uh, that you could be subject to, to, to manipulation by. So uh, it's just, it's just a concern, it's a concern of mine. It's actually, I, I'm more comfortable typing into an AI chatbot, start having a conversation with one, you know, verbally. That's gonna be a mental hurdle for me because, because it just kind of uh, sets off a whole bunch of kind of safety warnings for me personally. Oh, well, if TikTok and Facebook or Snapchat, you know, are any mm-hmm. example uh, we have some challenging times ahead, not only for ourselves, but our, for our young ones, our children, right? Yes. Because AI is going to be even more profound from a social exactly. media aspect, because to your point, it will be anthropomorphized. Now, let's go back to that iPhone analogy. What happened there, as you and I both well know, is that consumers who are thus our workforce, our productive people, our teammates, our, our colleagues, even our friends, bring all of this expectation and experience into the workplace with them, right? I want that app on my phone for work because it helps me with my workflow or it makes me more productive or I need it for my lunch break. Or as an IT leader, how do we prepare ourselves for that with people bringing AI into the workplace in maybe not a condoned way? I mean, how do we stop AI from showing up in the workforce in a, in a consumerized fashion? Uh, to to kind of take the lessons uh, from the past, uh, I mean, there's companies that blocked iPhones. We have iPhones. There's companies that blocked social media. Then all of a sudden, well, there's a bunch of commercial uses for social media. So we, I guess we have to allow that. I, I see, you know, kind of a, a block first mentality as being a little bit of a weak position. Maybe, maybe you need to do that just for very, very short time so you can get your, figure out what your policy or stance is. I mean, I think we've learned enough lessons to know that that just, that just simply doesn't work. Right. Um, and as a, as a tech leader, uh, we can't put our heads in the stand here. So, so here I am sharing my, my perspective on AI with you. Uh, every tech leader listening to this, uh, to, to this podcast, you know, you're expected to have a perspective on this. You're expected to, you know, cause your business leaders, your customers, your colleagues, fr- you know, frankly, your family members uh, at holidays are going to ask you, it's like, oh, you know, what do you think about this? You're a tech leader. You should have a perspective. So even if you completely disagree with, uh, you know, the points we're making here, you know, formulate your, your, your perspective on this. And I will say, keep an open mind because the space has changed so radically. We continually need to kind of get new input uh, and adjust our perspectives on these things as new, new information becomes available. So uh, I'll give you kind of my perspective. This is as of, you know, this date of recording in 2023, uh, you know, uh, subject to change in the future, of course, as I think we shall hold loosely to our 
our opinions on this. I look at it as uh, as a tool to be leveraged, yeah, you know, within 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 good controls. Everything you type into a to a, to that prompt becomes part of the new model. So kind of becomes you know available for public consumption kind of by default. So. Just know that you're not dealing with a private interface, generally speaking, mm. unless you've contracted for that. So, uh, you know, don't put company secrets in the prompt is <laughs> kind of kind of you know, idea number one. Right. And, and then number two, uh, you know, what comes back out of the prompt is, is your work product. You know, it's almost like kind of like the spell checker example. You know, do I put an asterisk next to a blog article that I wrote that said it's like written by Zach Hughes, spell checked by Microsoft Word? No, it's my work product. So um, if I'm going to use AI to enhance my work product, whether it be the code I write um, or an email I write, it's still me hitting the send button on the email at the end of the day. And it's still still be you know, checking into the code repo at the end of the day. And my name's on that code. While we can have AI assist us in, in, in these sort of things, you know, you kind of make sure that this, at the end of the day, is is your work product and you're putting your name behind it. Uh, so that's something that I, I encourage users who who do take advantage of AI tools to to keep in mind. So one one's on the input side, the other's on the output side in terms of how you treat that. You can't. There's there's no valid excuse to say like, well, I don't know, AI wrote that. It's not it's not it's not my fault. It's like, well, no, 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 that 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 doesn't work. This is this is you're using AI to assist you, help you be more productive, but this is still your work product at the end of the day. So that's something I keep in mind. I went to TechX, was it last week? It's a blur. Great conference. It was down in San Jose. Uh, really cool mixed venue, mixed audience. I was there, of course, to represent my company, Aviatrix. We do, you know, secure cloud networking. But there was a strong AI presence there as well. Because, um, <laughs> again, it was like a mix of, uh, of skills and, and, and players and disciplines. So I ended up just hanging out, talking to a lot of AI people both people that were interested in it from a consumer model and people that were selling solutions uh, based on AI of, of every type and stripe. So it's like this explosion or renaissance of AI. Everyone wants to to jump on that bandwagon and and leverage AI for something. And some of the ideas were brilliant and and made sense. And some of them to be expected were like, well, you know, good, good luck with that. But one of the prevailing sentiments from all of the uh, people I talked to at the conference, and I was there for, for almost three days, was the concern, kind of the quiet undertone that, you know, there's going to be a lot of churn in the job market as jobs mm -hmm. are redefined or even replaced due to AI. And you're saying, and maybe correctly, let's hope that really that's not going to happen at the scale that that people are talking about because fundamentally it's just like hyper productivity it's just going to help people become more productive as opposed to say totally take over their jobs is is that true that's where i'm at today um yeah so uh, yeah again except uh, humbly that uh, that I, uh, you know i could be wrong on this it is a rapidly evolving space but that's my perspective at this point in time. Uh, robots and computers are still really good at doing what robots and computers can do. Uh, humans are still amazingly good at uh, what humans can do. Let's let's talk about creativity for just a, just a brief moment because I think that's the whole thought is like, well, automation of the past and things like our like RPA as an example. You know, really good at automating tasks that stink. You know, this isn't life giving stuff. It's kind of life sucking stuff. So let's give it to the robot to do. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's like, well, that's always a no brainer. Uh, I still honestly kind of feel like we're still a little bit in that space, even though it feels different. I listened to a, uh, sym symphony that was written by 
by AI, uh, performed by by real real live musicians. Um, the input of this was a, a composer that died. Uh, he had a, a body of, of composed works, and he had started a symphony and then died having it left unfinished. And the machine learning algorithm was given um, all of the past symphonies uh, as input and just all symphonies in general as, as relative input for kind of, you know, rules of music and things of that sort. And then given the start of this new symphony, this unfinished symphony as kind of the starter and say, okay, finish it. Uh, you know the rules of music, you know the, the style of this composer, finish it. And it was awesome. And, and I listened to this, not necessarily a, a classical music uh, critiquer uh, <laughs> professionally, so I, maybe I wouldn't know anyway is basically what I'm saying. But to my uh, untrained ears, uh, it was it was a beautiful piece of classical music. Didn't sound in any way computer generated, let's put it that way. The question is, was this creative? Or And if it was, who was creative? At this point, I'm still definitively on the point where that original dead composer was creative. Mm -hmm. The musicians that were playing that for me, the human musicians that were playing this piece for me to listen to were creative. They put themselves, you know, into that, into their instruments and actually played the music for me. They were creative. I will even say the programmers that designed the models, you know, had an element of creativity to, to their computer science work. But I will say, I'll just hold back and say, I don't think the computer was creative. I think it followed instructions <laughs> that it was given. So that's where I'm at today. I'm going to agree with you 100% on that. I have a little skin of this game. I have a PhD in popular music studies. And I, at the time when I was getting my PhD, I was doing as my uh, graduate gig, uh, teaching history of rock at UT Austin. So I had my master's, so I was a professor, or so they say. And I did that for five years, and we would always get into raging debates about electronic music. And that was, you know, sampling, the reuse of other people's material to create new or novel things. And there was one camp that said, it's all forgery, right? That the original artist should get all the credit for this, and that there's really no creativity there. And then there was the other camp that I was in that said, no. It's a new art form and you're not paying attention. It's the choice and the nuance and the selection and the presentation of these samples that is the artistry. So to your point, this composition and using AI just means that our tools are getting far more sophisticated, but there's still a human, fundamental human element in that. Insofar as the AI was instructed to do this and given a learning model that was seeded with specific material for this outcome by humans. So that's the future I hope for, for AI. Mm -hmm. So my last question to you is about expected outcomes in the industry versus unexpected outcomes. So this is a great transition for us. So from an IT perspective, there's all the expected outcomes that AI is going to help us with. You mentioned some of them, writing better code, obviously helping people become more productive from just a workflow perspective. I mean, these are the things everyone's kind of taking for granted. What do you think might be some unexpected outcomes that leaders need to start thinking about? Here's an unexpected outcome that I, maybe it's maybe it's uh, something we've been already kind of experiencing at times. You've heard of, uh, we've, we've all talked about data-driven decision-making uh, for, for many, many, many years as being, you know, frankly, an improvement on gut feel, intuition, you know, relationships, we've all always done it this way, you know, the, 
those other ways of uh, of making decisions, right? I think when you start to layer in uh, potential for for bias, potential for manipulation um, into AI, uh, you know, data driven uh, decision making. I've heard this uh, new term, uh, data informed decision making, which I kind of like almost a little bit better. Or, or and you could even get to you know maybe it's not necessarily about the data anymore, but AI informed uh, decision making. To to know the, the the capacity for us to be manipulated by things that look like facts but aren't, <laughs> um, or uh, you know um, you know look black and white but are more gray. It's, it's to continue to make sure we don't uh, you know fall victim to uh, uh, to the to the machines. I'll kind of end with a, a little bit of a callback to uh, uh, something that you pro- probably are familiar with because I think we're of a, of a similar generation. Uh, I have to remember, imagine you, you remember the the movie War Games. Of course. Uh, well, see, we yes. have similar beards, so we know exactly yes. how old each other are. So yes. So War Games, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> if, if anyone, anyone listening to this podcast have not seen has not seen War Games, I don't care how old you are, go watch War Games. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing movie. Yes. The rough plot is, you know, a computer is is going to basically, uh, you know, create thermonuclear war with uh, with between the United States and Russia and have you know mutually assured destruction. That's the whole kind of climax of the movie. Yeah. There, there's this point where. Uh, this professor talks to this this general and saying, you know, you are listening to a machine. Do the world a favor and don't act like a machine. I will say that's that's maybe the last thing that I would kind of leave us with in this uh, in this realm of uncertainty. Let's use the machines, but let's not in, in as a result become machine like ourselves. Let's retain our human intuition. Uh, relationships, uh, skepticism, all these sorts of things that that uh, that uh, potentially act as a little bit of protection from us being uh, manipulated into uh, hopefully not starting World War III because of AI. So uh, that's what I'm thinking. Great closer, Zach. Love it. Awesome conversation. I know our listeners are going to love this episode. And again, thank you for coming on the show. This has been a real treat. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Really, really glad you had me. Uh, it's been a fun conversation. Yeah, let's come back maybe like, you know, next year and then we can do a reassessment and be like, wow, we were right. Or we could be like, oh, no, we were wrong. It'll be fun. We'll do a, a, a touch point and we can see how accurate we were. That'll All right. Cool. Sounds awesome. All right. Take care. Thanks. All right. See you. Bye bye. Bye.